In this episode of the podcast, we're catching up with my friend Sasha Lyovchenko. Now, Sasha is an editorial and commercial photographer who also dabbled in weddings until about six years ago. Six years ago, he began a humanitarian project that would really transform his entire career and purpose. Today, he primarily documents his humanitarian efforts, and that's what he does full time. We're going to talk through his experiences. You're going to get to go on a journey with me as we travel through his imagery and through his overall journey of transformation and really adding value and purpose to the imagery that he creates. Before we dive into the episode, let me also mention our other platforms and resources. If you're a photographer, I'd encourage you to check out SLR Lounge and Visual Flow Presets. SLR Lounge is where you'll find my A to Z education, teaching you how to master your camera, how to think creatively, how to light, to pose, to direct, to shoot and edit, to even build the photography business of your dreams if that's your wish. Tens of thousands of aspiring photographers have used this education to level up their skill sets and their sentiments are always the same. They always say, I wish I'd found this sooner. Visual Flow is where you're going to find the best image processing tools for Lightroom users. They are lighting condition based presets and retouching tools that will dramatically enhance your workflow. In short, they're presets that don't suck. This is the TSS Podcast. It's a place for authentic conversations to uncover the stupid simple truths that help us succeed in business, create better relationships, and lead more fulfilling lives. Welcome to Think Stupid Simple. All right, we have a ceremonial lighting of the candle, the meeting of minds. Dude, it is good having you on the podcast. It's great being able to actually chat with you one-on-one. We haven't talked for a long time. It's been a while. Yeah, so I'm, I'm excited to catch up on all the awesome things that you've been doing. First, I know just from our conversation a second ago that you have kind of stepped away from photography for all the other things that you're doing. But I have to say, I want to pull up your website. Your imagery is absolutely incredible. And I do feel like the world is missing out a little bit on Sasha not taking more photographs. <laughs> well, that's very kind of you. <laughs> these are these are wild, man. Can you walk me through? Are, is this in Mongolia? Yeah. What was what was this shoot? Well, the shoot came off of my friend's idea, Kale, um, blending. He's an amazing filmmaker. So mm-hmm. I don't know how he came across that particular tribe of people. Those uh, eagle hunters. Um, he the got eagle I hunters. I think it was in China. Somehow uh-huh. figure out a way to get to Mongolia and visit this amazing tribe of people, and then get, gave him a call, and we chatted, and he said, "Hey, would you want to come and join me on this trip? I want to film a short, short documentary. It'd be great to have a photographer, also." So we yeah, just hop on the plane. I think a week later, and uh, met in Mongolia, and went from there. So yeah, it's kind of um, a great experience because <clears throat> Mongolia is a vast country. But if I remember from uh, correctly, they have only 1,200 miles of paved road. Oh, wow. It's huge. Yeah, it's, I think, bigger than Texas. So, yeah, wow. we flew to the, you know, the east part and then drove for quite a while with no roads and then lived with this, uh, you know, beautiful people, people for about a week. 
and kind of just going along with their, you know, wife as far as, you know, providing for the family and taking care of the kids and just going eagle hunting and just all this. Because it's still kind of, um, it's still an existing tradition, but it seems like it's dying out. So that's uh-huh. another thing which Kale was so excited and, you know, got me excited about this. Like, hey, I don't think they'll be around in the next 10, 20 years. And the story uh, which we're working on, and um, uh, it, the, the movie which Kale produced called Onward. Mm-hmm. And if you see the very first picture on my website of that um, father with the son, and this is the, the, the gentleman on the left actually didn't want to be an eagle hunter. He actually wanted to move back, uh, move, move to a bigger city, you know, go to college, et cetera, et cetera even though his whole family, you know, for generations were eagle hunters. Somehow, uh, I think he, he uh, from what, if I remember correctly, his dad passed away um, very suddenly. And out of respect, he decided to continue the tradition of eagle hunting and actually staying in the same village and the same location and kind of honoring his father. So oh, wow. that's, that's and, and he was, also transitioning and kind of showing the, the tricks and, and, and legacy to his younger son. So that's kind of the story we, we were able to capture. That's so cool. I mean, what was that like in terms of, had you been to a place like Mongolia before that? Uh, Mongolia, no, probably. That, that's once again, just the scenery, the landscape, it's, it's one of a kind. Like when yeah. we were flying from the capital to this uh, east part of Mongolia, from the top, a little, I mean, I once again, I haven't been to Mars, but if I imagine what Mars looks like, this would, that would be it. So it's definitely something different. And people are very friendly, very kind. Yeah. So that's definitely a plus. That's wild. So from a perspective standpoint, I remember when you were posting those photographs, it wasn't long after before I, 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 and maybe I just don't know the timeline, but it seemed like after that shoot became a, a significant transition into what you're doing now, like more humanitarian work. Um, was that kind of the start of that or was that, did that change your perspective in any way? No, that was a different shoot. If you go back to the website, I think um, they're going to be a photo right in the middle of this That's lady. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so this is uh region, northernmost region of Russia called Chukotka. And okay. these uh reindeer herders. And I, I think I took this picture about 10 years ago. So, and I was also kind of out of the blue. I was in college. I was, I just started photography, probably been shooting for a year, year and a half. And then um, I came across, you know, a mutual friend of ours, Jim, Germany, Jeremy Coward, I'm sure. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Keep up with his work. So he started a movement called Hell Portrait. I remember and the that. Whole idea, you know, if, for for those who are not aware, is to take a picture of someone who never had a picture taken or could never afford it, print it, and give it to them. It's usually he would do those projects right right around you know Christmas time. So yeah. know, from family who never had a Christmas photo taken, that would be a perfect opportunity. And the movement kind of blew up, you know. It would yeah. be in literally 50 states, you know, 40 countries, just crazy. People just getting together as far as photographers, you know, setting up studio sets and just bringing the people from 
whoever, you know, it's, it could be anyone, but you know, a lot of those just, you know, families who, who could never afford those pictures. So I did one and I used to go to school in Fresno. So I did a project in Fresno and kind of blew my mind because we would have people who kind of reunited just for the photo, you know, yeah. just father and son who never had a picture taken in 20 years. So I'm like, this is incredible. And this is something which also helped me um, in the sense that when I started photography, I'm like, yeah, it's great. It makes me money. I kind of enjoy it. I'm like, there's got to be a bigger purpose to that. If there's, if I'm, hopefully I can call myself gifted in a sense of creativity and photography. I want to use also that talent to give back, you know, to help someone around. So, and that one was an outlet for me to figure out, okay, this is, this is the venue I can use to help someone. Once again, I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, people from cancer, but at least I can do something which they, they cannot afford. And I'll, I'll, I'll do as a gift. I'll do it as a, something which, which I can help people with. So that led me to projects just all, all around the world. And that, that helped portrait project brought me to the, uh, that area in, in Russia. My friend actually was a missionary there and he was always telling me, Hey, you should come and just, just explore the landscape. It's, it's, a, it's a crazy, crazy part of the world. Mm -hmm. I'm sure I'll get great photographs. And when I got introduced with Hal Porsche, I'm like, okay, now I actually have a, a meaning to go there, you know, not just take a landscape portraits, but also, you know, maybe uh, do some meaningful photographs. And the sad part about that area is that it's, it, I think it's whole Europe and Asia. It's the, the, the era with the most social orphans uh, in Eurasia, meaning oh, that's when, crazy. Whoever don't know what social orphan is, is that uh, kids, they have technically parents, but they don't have them for years sometimes. And the reason for that is people are drinking so much there. Sometimes they just abandon their kids and just drink for half a year, a year, year and a half. That's you know, crazy. just crazy stuff. So we would go to those, you know hospitals and kindergartens and the kids are just abandoned. They have parents, but they haven't seen them for months and sometimes years. So that's kind of the focus we, we did. And um, I still have those photos somewhere, but we did a lot of just those help portrait projects for those kids. You know, someone who, who've been in the hospital for, for quite some time on the kindergarten, but they haven't seen it either. Like, you know, we would sometimes actually get those parents come in and you know, do the photographs with the kids. And the reindeer hearse tribe, it was probably the craziest adventure I did in my life because the temperature on average there, we went there in December first time and an average, the temperature would be minus 40. Oh, wow. Minus 40, minus 50. And it's yeah. humid. So meaning like it feels like it chills you to the bones. So we ended up driving on SUV to the closest village possible from the capital. And from there, 11 hours in a snowmobile. And so it's open Jeez. air, minus 50 outside, plus some wind. So it gets cold. On a snowmobile. Uh, Holy crap. Yeah. So we, that's how we got to that tribe. And once again, I'm, uh, uh, when, when it comes to photography, I don't want to be that 
guy who gets me a face and want to take a picture and then post on that website. So yeah. with this with this tribe, I'm like, hey, you know what? I'll just be around these people for for a day or two, and just would love. I just want to learn about them first of all. Sure. So that's what we did for two days. We literally slept with them in the same tent. Went to check on the deers. Went prepared food, drank tea, and it just just did the life together. And I came with an idea and said, hey, I'll, I, I don't want to just take a picture of you to have it for me. Actually, I want to give a picture to you. So yeah. they didn't really grasp it. I'm like, wait, what? Like, we haven't really had a picture taken, but why would he give you, why would you give us a picture? I'm like, yeah. once again, maybe if you want to send it to your family, I can take it, you know, because you guys are, you know, 11 hours from the civilization. But, um, and they became very much um, open to this idea whereby in two days they were actually asking me, hey, can we go there and take a picture? Can we go there and take a picture? You know, That's very so excited cool. about it. And I had a, usually have a printer with me, a very portable small printer. So I had pictures printed to them, you know, right on the spot. So that was also very, an awe moment for them because some of them had never had a picture taken, period. Yeah. You know, so, but yeah, the, the, and that's kind of the opened uh, venue for me to do more of those projects, you know, and uh, let more of a, not just, I want to come and take a picture of someone who never had a picture taken, which I think it's an amazing concept which Jeremy created, but also go back and figure, okay, is there like a humanitarian issue we can show through these pictures and this story and this, um, photographs which might help these people and that's um, when the whole avenue of humanitarian stuff opened for me whereby I started traveling to you know I traveled to Haiti at this point I don't know probably seven times you know the first time right after the earthquake yeah so you know, did a story on this orphanage which needed to be relocated because it's, it was damaged you know came back raised some money you know sent to the nonprofit went to, you know, Philippines right after the, you know, typhoon did the same thing, you know, showed the devastation of the typhoon and all the, you know, uh, damage with the country and the people, you know, occurred and then brought it back through fundraiser. Uh, remember it was in Sacramento also raised, you know, some money, sent it back, we rebuilt the homes, we rebuilt the, you know, community centers, you know, help people start their small businesses, whatever they lost. So. That's kind of the avenue, um, I think, which I enjoy the most. And I still, that, that's the avenue I'm not willing to give up at this point. You know, I can give up photography, I can give up commercial work, but I don't think I'm ready to give up this avenue yet. Now, is your photography still a part of your humanitarian efforts? Like, are you telling the stories of the people that, that you are helping currently? Yes. Um, yes. Or oh, try to, yeah. yeah. So the last... Uh, we started two projects last year, one of them, which was actually in my home country, Moldova. Um, my, my family still lives there. You know, I, I yeah. travel there frequently. With COVID, it was a little different, but uh, nevertheless, you know, I usually go and see my parents twice or maybe even sometimes three times a year. Yeah. So one of the, one of the days my dad sent me some pictures. And it's from this village in the northern part of Moldova where um, the condition of the elderly was just kind of inhumane. 
and I travel from my country, you know, it's like I spent there 19 years, you know, since I was sure. born. But are these, actually, are these online like, anywhere that we could pull up or? Yeah, if you go to my blog and you're going to click on elderly care facility. Okay. The very last blog post. You can see some of those there. No, no, it's the very first. You're going to go to the very top. No, just go back. Oh, right there. Yeah. Wow. This is an elderly care facility? No, no, no. This is just elderly, how they live. Okay. So, and this is, you know, um, just one of the villages, which, and we came across this people. Um, and once again, this guy, for example, he's blind, he can't walk. He live, I don't know how small his apartment. It's literally like tiny tiny little room and this is you know his oven which works as a heater as well because he doesn't have a heat his you wow. know um like it's on on a borderline disgusting but this is how people live yeah um and the government doesn't doesn't give i'm sorry crap about these people either so you know this lady also blind uh doesn't have anyone to take care of for her. So, you know, like barely, you know, uh, they get any type of support from uh, the government or, you know, social worker. They, they have a social worker, let's say one per village, but they have a hundred of this, you know, elderly. So all social work can do the best she can, but once again, she's not going to visit every single one on timely matter, you know, sure. and these people need assistance on daily basis. Um, so, so my dad showed me some of these pictures, you know, what he saw because he was, you know, working also on a project there in, in the Northern Park. I'm like, what can we do? And the idea kind of came out from um, some of the people locally, which would be great right now. Um, they suggested that, like, hey, it would be great to build an elderly care facility. I'm like, okay, never done that before, but let, let's see. So I brought a good friend of mine, Val, who flew there, uh, shot a small documentary, which you can see also in the blog. And uh, the whole idea kind of came out like, hey, let's build an elderly care facility for this community. You know, there's three villages right next door to each other. They have roughly about 300 elderly, 50 of them are in critical condition. That's kind of what you see. There's uh, not a single relative or, you know, or a kid whoever can take care of them. There is no one direct relatives to take care of them. And they have some sort of, you know, either they're blind or they can't walk, they have also a physical condition, which also um, makes it hard for them to do regular stuff, you know, go to the store or take care of themselves and go to the hospital and such. So the idea came out, yeah, just to build an elderly care facility. I came back and uh, we started GoFundMe and at this point, I think we raised a little over a hundred thousand dollars for that, you know, oh, big chunk of, of money kind of, you know, from good friends of mine who always, you know, ready to support my crazy ideas. But, um, it, it's also great to see people in my level also yeah. taking initiative and helping. But yeah, at this point we have, uh, we bought the land in last year, a little a month after we bought the land and the COVID hit. Oh, COVID hit and we couldn't do any construction, obviously. So that delayed the process, I think, till September, if I'm not mistaken. So in September, we started building. 
at this point. Um, if you go in, once again, there's a GoFundMe page there on the website and you can see the process, but we have the, the land is there, the foundation is there, the walls are there. We started putting the roof up, I think last week. So the roof should be done probably in a week. And we hope to have the uh, building done by July this year. That's wild. So, so has COVID extended to these, uh, to these elderly people in these villages, or is it, are they fairly separated from all of that? Because I would imagine they would be at most risk for things like that. They are at most risk, but once again, there's so little interaction with these people, you know, because there's... I see. And yeah, and through the process, we also started doing like just um, kind of like weekly help, whereby we have this... 50 critical people taken care of. We hire two social workers on our own there. So they take care of these people who potentially will be in an elderly home once it's finished. But at this point, we just take care of them on, you know, on a monthly, weekly basis, whereby providing some food, you know. We, the, the gentleman which you saw on the very first photo, his house was completely AK remodeled, you know. Yeah. So we, to, first of all, he ended up in the hospital First time, I think, in six years, he, he, even though he literally cannot walk, he's blind, has a lot of physical issues, you know, and medical issues, but he could not take himself to the hospital. Nobody really cared about him going to the hospital. So we finally made sure that he was in the hospital. He would get some treatment for his legs and whatever he could. And meanwhile, while he was in the hospital, we tear down his whole room and replace the floors, the walls, we painted got him heater and everything between. So that's kind of the, was the, the process over the uh, COVID period, whereby we couldn't do any construction, but we can do all the small projects. And meanwhile, you know, repair some home there, you know, take care of the you know medical stuff for elderly here and there. So, and then this point, hopefully by the summer, the project will be complete. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. So that's really cool that the Go, GoFundMe is still active right now. So if we do have listeners that want to participate in this. Now, so yeah, this is the how, before and after, if you can see. Oh, crazy. I mean, once again, it's nothing major, but small stuff. But that's a huge difference for him. Yeah, and then if you want to scroll down just a little bit, um, that's another a little up. There's a lady with no legs. Uh, um, let me see. I want to, it's while visiting the first time in, um, there, there, oh, right there. Yep. 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 So just a small story about this lady. So we visited her on the first trip and she was a, she's, she was a teacher, uh, for the local school for probably 40 years. Somehow, um, got some disease and it wasn't treated in time and properly due to the you know lack of good medical uh, care in Moldova so she had both her legs amputated and the prosthetics they gave her as it just their their habit there's almost impossible to do anything with them so she when we visited she literally we asked her like hey how can we help and she literally begged She's like, the only thing I want right now in this world, I want just to be able to walk. And it was such a crazy concept to me. I'm like, man, we dream of, you know, about new cars and bigger house and new pair of shoes and this and this and vacation 
I don't know, somewhere. And this lady right here who gave up 40 years of her life teaching kids and, you know, serving her local community, all she wants is literally just to walk, be able to walk. I'm like, we got to do something about it. So I reached out to the local clinic in the capital of Moldova, find a really good doctor, and they did prosthetics. And once again, it's we, we raised the money for that uh, help her. So she right now has a very solid, you know, whatever the latest technology prosthetics. But it, I think it costed us six and a half thousand dollars, you know, That's to get her literally walking. So that those are the projects probably gets exciting me the most because you actually can help some in a tangible way whereby in this case it would just uh, just crazy to be able to help someone to walk again, you know, and it's also a power of photography whereby you just tell the story, you share with the world and hope somebody cares about that human as much as um, I guess you do. You know, yeah. So, um, so that yeah, that's been probably the last year's biggest project. Well, those photographs that you're creating matter. I mean, it actually allows the person on the other side of the world to be transported into those those scenes, those situations, those lives, and to connect with those people. Mm -hmm. um, so that is, I, I've talked a little bit before on the podcast that you know if there's tiers and levels to kind of the meaning of a photograph that is the highest level that is the the ability to actually bring us to these places where people are struggling and to move us to act and to help uh mm -hmm. <laughs> wedding photography is kind of here uh you know this is like way beyond this this is you know it goes to journalism and and i'm very curious from a, a psychological standpoint of how has this changed your perspective over the years? I mean, I've had a lot of crazy experiences and I would say you've had 10 times more. Um, but how has your perspective changed through each of these? When I started in this project, uh, usually we, you would come with the concept as far as, hey, I'm going to go and help those people. You know, I'm going to make their life better. I'm going to take pictures of them and they're going to be changed. You know, yeah. that's, it's a, I think that's a very a Western dreaming. mentality of looking at yeah. yeah. But in the end of the day, the person who gets changed the most after the trips is me. Yeah. You know, you look at the humanity different. You look at, you know, um, just revamp. And there was also great, um, point in my life whereby, because I came from, you know, I grew up, was born and grew up in Moldova, which is still considered to be the poorest country in Europe. So I didn't have a lot of growing up. But once again, I never really noticed that, you know, because my parents did the best to provide for me. And I never saw that I lacked something, you know, like Coca-Cola was a luxury for me, but I never thought that, oh, that's a normal thing which people drink on a daily basis, let's say in other part of the world, you know. For us, it was like, okay, you drink Coca-Cola only on, on Christmas and, you know, New, New Year's. That's it. You know, you don't drink it on a daily basis because we couldn't afford it. But when coming to States, all of a sudden, you make all this money, you know. So I was working night shifts at this call center, and I would get five bucks from working from midnight till 7 a.m. Oh, wow. And I thought I was doing okay because I could go out on a weekend and have a pizza and, you know, go to the cinema maybe once a month so and then I, i'm moving to states and all of a sudden 
I'm making 10 bucks doing construction work. I'm like, you know, holy crap, that's a lot of money, you know? Yeah. And then I got into photography and doing all of this stuff. And all of a sudden, all this money coming in, you know, like whereby I used to make 150 bucks a month. Right now, I can make two, three, four thousand, you know, a month doing, you know, photography. Just, yeah. So it got me in the in this mentality of like, I need more and more and more and more, which is not bad when, but this is the only thing I was living on, you know, just financial aspect. And this project, I think, realigned me back to like, okay, we're, I used to be okay with 150 bucks a month. Yeah. How come I'm not okay with 3000 right now? You yeah. know, and I still greedy to more just for the personal sake of it. Things. So those projects kind of got me back on track of like, okay, there's something more than financial aspect of your life. You know, there's this idea of giving back and Honestly, it fulfills you the most because mm-hmm. even, you know, if, if you remember, you know, growing up as a kid, the best thing for holidays, you'd love, you know, us as a kid, I think, you know, I'm not the only one, but we love getting gifts, right? Yeah. Like this is the best thing you can do. And right now you as a father, I'm sure you can, I don't have kids right now, but I'm sure you can tell but the best thing you can do or you get the best fulfillment is when you give gifts to your kids. For sure. Or maybe your parents or your friends. You don't get that fulfillment from receiving the gifts at this point. Correct. Because I think once we grow up, we figure out that the best thing you can do in life actually to give someone something. Um, to give a gift or, you know, to present some someone with and I like this quote, um, I'm not sure who said it, but the idea is that um, it says you haven't lived today if you haven't done something for those who will never never be able to pay you back. Interesting. And it's not ne- yeah, it's not necessarily like just do for the sake of giving to someone who will never be able to give it back, but the idea of just living that life whereby you want to help those people yeah. and you'll never be able uh, and you're not gonna be expecting anything to return because that's the biggest gift you can do. And that's the biggest gift you can receive as a human by giving back to helping someone and not expecting in return. And those projects helped me realign my thought process to that, like, okay, um, the way for me to grow as a human being uh, would be to just to give back and not just to give back, but give someone who will never be able to give me back and not expect anything from them. And that's kind of the biggest fulfillment I got in through those projects whereby I was able to give something or to give someone um, and not expect anything in return. So I, I have to ask this from, and this is going to be a, maybe a little bit of an otter. It's on topic, but a little bit of a different question. Mm-hmm. When I hear you describing this, I can, I can literally hear your sense of core values shifting through each of these experiences. So mm-hmm. are, did you find that these experiences kind of created disconnects between existing friends and make you kind of push you towards friendships that maybe think on a more similar level? Because I would think it would be really hard to relate to a lot of people that maybe were part of like your past when you have this kind of set of experiences now. A hundred percent, yeah. It tightens your circle, um, 
because all of a sudden you are excited about things for some people who just odd, you know? Yeah. Um, even through photography circles, it was like, hey, you know, how much you can make of the weddings, you know, per year. And for me, I'm like, okay, I can make this amount of my weddings, but I can take three trips and I need 20000 for each trip. And I'll pay out of my pocket because I believe in those costs. Yeah. So that created a big disconnect, in, you know, and um, some of those friendships, which once again, but the friends who stayed or I discovered throughout the years are probably my still biggest friends and biggest supporters, you know. When and these uh, are ones that not only understand, but they, I would imagine your closest friends are people that want to either help or, or be a part of what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And majority, honestly, um, majority of the projects which I did, um, um, quote unquote, sponsored by a very tight group of people, you know, <clears throat> and I always tell the people, I'll never ask unless I put the first dollar in. And that's always been my um, mentality on those projects. You know, if I'm, I'm, I'm I don't know, raising the money for people in, in Thailand or Philippines, whatever the project I did, I would be the first to put, you know, a dollar in the project or whatever the amount is. And then I'll ask my friends. And usually those friends, through the years, there was a selected group of friends who constantly kept showing up and helping, you know, and uh, it became to the point whereby they don't really need any proof at this point, like where I spend the money, how I spend the money. They just going to transfer and let me be responsible for whatever I think is fair to do in that country or this project and so forth. So, yeah, it became, uh, but once again, those people also encourage me. They, they Sometimes the way they give, you know, because this is something I care deeply in the first place, but for them to give sometimes big amount of money. Yeah. Uh, inspires me i'm like okay i can step up my game also in financial sector just not just and in the end of the day that's uh why i started probably working more towards the business aspect around the photography because when i started doing the small projects and when you go to i don't know uganda and you see all these orphans and kids who need some you know some medical care or some food or you know just basic necessities and then you come back and tell the people and they're like eh, okay you know there is absolutely no uh compassion or support i figure okay first of all um it, i cannot judge those people you know that's that's out of the picture you know this is something it's really I hard not believe. to though I mean, that's difficult. It's yeah, easy but, to say. But you, you, I think I learned not to because once again, we're all human. We all think differently. And if this is something which I believe God put in front of me, it's for me to take care of and not for the neighbor, not for my friends. It's literally for me to take care of this issue. So I decided like I need to figure out a business whereby if nobody else cares, I'll be able to support those causes myself. You know, and this is something which I've been working on for the last six years where like, you know, and my probably the biggest support is my brother-in-law, Ross, who pretty much on every single project I do. And yeah. at this point, we kind of do all everything, everything together. 
uh, the humanitarian project financially. So I've also, that's why I switched a little bit from fully photography whereby like, hey, I want to put, put in the time in the business and grow something whereby I can do nonprofit stuff, but also sure. be able to financially support it. Sure. Because in the end of the day, nobody will care as much as uh, you will. And I, I don't want to be that guy who just takes pictures, but not be able to help financially as well. Well, and ultimately money is the, money is the way that you affect change. I mean, the photographs right. can relay the message, but ultimately people need to step up and the way to do that is, is financially. So right, right. I, I had that conversation with um, someone else on the podcast, Benjamin Von Wong, and we were talking about, Ben was kind of in a place where he was thinking that, you know, I want to do more than just inspire change. And I go, well, that's, that's kind of all a photograph can do is inspire change. If you want to actually affect it, you need money. So there has to be, there, that has to be a piece of your plan is like, if you want to step beyond just inspiration, you have to figure out some way to generate revenue to actually go and do the thing that you're wanting to. Otherwise you have to be okay mm-hmm. with simply inspiring change and hoping you know, that, that it comes about. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So that's kind of uh, where I've been for the last six years. Uh, I saw, un- yeah, unfortunately, very little amount of people care, you know, and um, I would literally do experiments. Sometimes I would put, put a photo with, uh, from one of the projects and then, you know, uh, send them a link to the GoFundMe, something like that. You know, I would get 10 likes on Facebook and I wouldn't get it, put a stupid felf, selfie and I yeah. would get it 100 plus. I'm like, yeah, really? It's, it's wild, dude. Yeah. It's wild. So, but in the end of the day, yeah, you, you figure out a good circle of friends who are as passionate as you for those causes and helping, you know, literally can humanity and then go along with that and try to do the best you can. Yeah, I, I can see the the side of commercial photography, of wedding photography, of pretty much anything that's not associated to this. I can see that losing meaning and value through the process of, of this these experiences that you've had. I mean, you come back mm-hmm. and you are trying to affect change and build a you know care home in Moldova and you've gone to Russia and all these different places. And to be standing there while a bride or groom is completely lost in themselves um, and not even appreciative of, of the things that they have. They just kind of have these expectations and demands without, and they have no clue. They have no clue what exists outside of their world, basically. That, mm-hmm. as I play it back in my mind, sounds very frustrating. Well, once again, I, I love those um experiences i love shooting weddings it was a fun yeah. when it was a fun wedding it was a challenge for me i love getting to know the people um honestly i enjoyed it a lot i still do want to get to you know a chance to shoot here and there commercial stuff same thing you know meeting interesting people you know professional athletes whatever it is and just getting their photograph um as a, as a photography was always kind of a competition with myself mm-hmm. to get more creative um uh, to to deliver a better product it was never honestly about the uh, money. You know, I never saw photography as something. Okay, how can I make more money? For me, it's like I'd love to get as much gigs and weddings as I can, but also I want to get the best product 
possibly not just for the client but also for myself because yeah. i also saw that as a challenge you know um for myself like, i want to deliver the best product possible i want to deliver something which people are going to look at it and say like, oh wow like how did he do that you know so i love the aspect but with the humanitarian stuff at this point also in a way of a challenge when the photography i just don't want to just snap a photo i want to create the most beautiful i guess um best looking lit photo of whoever i'm photographing you know sure. so i want to respect that person with the best photography skill i can possibly produce but also through that delivery message you know to the world and hopefully somebody will care about that cause or human and you know uh, be part of the change yeah it, it's an it's an interesting process that you're going through and i and i i feel like in some ways i can relate i i haven't i haven't had i haven't sat on a snowmobile for 11 hours going through negative 40 um that that seems wild and i have questions actually on that whole thing beyond this but what I have experienced personally is, um, you know, over the years, it used to be enough for me to go in and, and document uh, a, a client's portraits and their wedding and, you know, mm. to, to make a difference in their individual lives. I felt like I could do that and I could do it well. And that, that used to be enough. And then when I started really getting involved in teaching 10 years ago, it became more so of how many more lives can I help and change through empowering others to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. And then over those years it became, now I want to take this knowledge and frameworks and go outside of photography. I want to affect, you know, relationships and business and creativity and broad subjects and write and spend my time in, in teaching and inspiring those subjects. And each step along the way, the original thing became a little bit less meaningful. It became, mm -hmm. I had to tie, I had to tie a person's portrait session or wedding to those bigger purposes to the point where I was essentially like, I, I, I've written this book on relationships. Well, to keep myself motivated, so many of the case studies and things that I'm observing actually came from the clients that I'm photographing. And I've of course mm -hmm. removed all the you know personal details but I right. treated each client as a psychological case study of like, you know, to do and not to do. And that fulfilled me in the sense of like, this is going now towards a bigger purpose because right. just the one thing wasn't enough anymore. Just the one piece. I, I want to do something more. I don't know if that's with age or what it is, but I can very much relate to that feeling of this loss of value and seeking to do something that has greater purpose. Yeah, yeah, and those experiences fulfill you the most, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So, tell me, going back to this shoot in Russia, I I had a chance to do a a, a shoot up in Banff at negative twenty five. There mm -hmm. are a lot of considerations to make when you're using equipment in those kind of weather mm -hmm. conditions. What what was that like in preparing for that trip? I mean, did you even have the clothes that you needed for negative 40? A quick question before yes. we go on. Oh, Are we talking on. Celsius or Fahrenheit right now? Anthony's chiming in with a question of his own. I, th I think minus 40 in Celsius and Fahrenheit is the same. That's, that's where it kind of collides. I think minus okay. 40, minus 41. 
And then it also, you know, but the lowest we experienced, I think, was minus 62 Celsius. Wow. I'm not sure what is in Fahrenheit, 62 or 64. That's wild. Um, well, the clothes, no, I didn't have the clothes. So <laughs> what happened, we, we came semi-prepared. We had some of the stuff, kind of the best gear you can possibly get for, um, let's say, U.S. winter somewhere in Alaska. Yeah. So I had a, a onesie, which was supposed to keep me warm to probably minus 30. And then we had some boots also, which were the humongous, but I guess that's the best kind of like a little snowboarding boots, but full of, you know, good stuff. Yeah. Um, when we got there, we figure out there is no way, you know, I can drive for 11 hours in the open sled, you know, with that stuff. So the local, what the locals were, and it's a crazy lifestyle, which they have. So the reindeer herders, yeah. all they do is literally they live off of the deer. So they live under the deer skin, they wear the deer skin, they eat deer, they herd deer. So the really? clothes they have is two layers. One with the deer skin um, on the out, so pretty much the fur inside to the to, to naked body and the skin outside. And the second layer, it's vice versa. The leather uh -huh. to the first layer and the fur to outside. And that's I all see. they wear. And that thing is bulletproof. So what we had, it's literally a um, couple of layers, whatever, like, you know, underlayer, something else. And we would put this big, 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 you know, um, uh, what would you call it? I guess the jacket, like reindeer, yeah, leather reindeer jacket. Yeah. And yeah. that would kept us warm. Yeah. So that, that's the only thing which actually works in that type of temperature and humidity. Yeah. There's, and, there's uh, nothing you can shop to buy for no. negative 60 there's no 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 That's and wild. those people you know just uh, it's something that they stay inside all the time they actually are outside taking care of the deer you know some so some of the herds are huge some 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 of them are like ten thousand deers and Dang. they they move from place to place every two to three days because they dig up the snow, whatever they find like in the ground. So roots or like rain in the grass, whatever it is, that that's what they eat. And then they can, you know, 10,000 years, you imagine how quick they can eat whatever it's in that yeah, part of the lot. And then they have to move them. So they, they pack up everything and they move, you know. Um, so they're nomadic. They set up their tent. Yeah, yeah. That's so, crazy. Now, was your gear, was your equipment actually working in negative 60? Uh, no, it did not. <laughs> I so was going to say. While we were there, while we were there, there was one day out of three days we stayed with those people, and it was minus 35. I'm like, okay. guys, it's Miami Beach weather. Let's go outside and shoot. <laughs> so th minus 35 actually works just fine. The shower is very slow, obviously. Yeah. Uh, battery lasts also for probably 40 minutes, and then die. I mean, yeah, I was using it kills batteries. Gear. I remember. I think I had 5D Mark II, which died on me, and I had 7D as a yeah. backup camera. And that's what I shot everything on. At 7D, I had a $25 umbrella you know, and a, and a Canon Speedlight Flash. And wow. that's what I was doing. you know. And once again, at that point, I'm very inexperienced photographer. You know, I, I barely know off-camera flash. Some kind of experiment. I still remember how I shot those pictures, and I, you know, I cringed because it was like, 
kind of the umbrella right behind me, straight flash. I'm like, oh my gosh, that looks horrible. But they turn out okay. No, I, so I think it turned out light, great. Yeah, speed light worked just fine. Uh, 7D worked just fine. Um, and what I had to do is uh, pretty much cap the gear outside. Yeah. Because if you bring the camera from minus even 35 inside, that's it. It's it's full yeah. of uh, humidity. Know, humidity, yeah. Yeah. So we would keep the gear outside and just put the batteries inside. That's it. Yeah, I remember so that in was Banff, the process. I, I couldn't even get my flashes to power on in Banff. And then the the battery life, like you said, is cold weather saps lithium ion batteries. Yeah. So you get maybe thirty percent, forty percent um on a full charge. It it acts like mm-hmm. as if as if there's only thirty percent, forty percent. And then mirror lockups it was wild to me like i was like i I don't this gear is not designed for and it got up to negative 30 where i was Mm -hmm. but that's not negative 60 so i was like i'm sitting here thinking like how do you even get your gear to work at negative 60 yeah honestly like it's once again after i came back from that trip i started googling and there were actually multiple ways of keeping the you know there's like all these packs which you can just set up around the lens, around the camera, and it keeps the camera semi-warm. So, and I tried it after and it works. Cause the biggest problem, I guess, uh, in the, uh, those, I, I don't remember what the technology offers right now, but those cameras, the connection between the lens and the body, that's where the problem was. I so see. when the, when the camera stopped working, it's not because um, it's better or something else, it's just because you couldn't recognize the lens. Yeah. So, but if you would put the you know the warm packs around that connection right there on the lens, you should be good. Well, I would imagine any camera that has an overheating problem would work perfectly in negative sixty. Yeah. All <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. That's crazy, dude. So, so now you've moved on, and now you're kind of you're doing your humanitarian work, but you're also doing projects with Ross, your brother-in-law, who's also a friend of mine. What mm-hmm. are you guys working on now? Well, as far as the business-wise is saying, you know, uh, Ross started a company called Flow Agency mm-hmm. 11 years ago, and they um, joined forces probably eight, nine years ago. Okay. And and it's pretty much it's WordPress themes and also uh, Squarespace themes for the photographers, for the websites. So that's kind of the project, you know, and the business we've been working on for the last quite a few years. Yeah. Um, but I, I was telling that Ross more of a join the humanitarian part of, of what I've been doing, you know, because gotcha. he'd been hustling for a long time and then finally um, had some extra time whereby he uh, got back and started working on the project. And, you know, the Moldova project, it's very mutual. He's, he's there, so he's hands-on, you know, he's helping uh, financially and whatever he can. And every single project I did in the past, you know, for the last six years, he'd been a part of, you know, from mm-hmm. Philippines to Thailand to Lebanon. This is also a very recent project. Uh, I've been going to Lebanon. Well, you're also, you know, where, where are you? Uh, where I'm Iranian, but from? close by. Iranian, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure you're very familiar with the crisis in Lebanon. Um, yeah, a little so bit. So I've been going there for the last six years mm-hmm. and I also came across this nonprofit and they've been working with Syrian refugees mm-hmm. and a friend of mine 
told me about it and said, hey, would you like to go and check it out and maybe do a documentary on it? So again, I grabbed a friend of mine, a Val videographer, who flew in, did a small documentary, and this crazy guy, Mohammed, who literally been working with, you know, Syrian refugees for years. Um, Can we pull and, this up on the blog as well? Uh, yeah, what would it be? Let me check. I like giving Let these. Uh, or I think you can type in that search right there. Let me see if I have it. Would be a good one. I don't think I have it on the blog, to be honest. Okay. Um, let me check. Oh, if you go to portfolio, there's going to be a category Syrian war refugees in Lebanon. Uh, the, the girl with holding the kid. There it is. Yeah, that's them. Um, so oh, these are, uh, yeah. So these are so much Syrian more refugee camps. Yeah, in, it's, it's... Uh, in Lebanon, and if and probably not a lot of people know, but Lebanon is an interesting country because every third of the person who live in Lebanon is a refugee. Uh, it started all the way back from uh, Armenian genocide. A lot of Armenian moved um, during the whole horrific period of time to Lebanon, and then you have a wave of. Um, Palestinian refugees who came along, and then right now for the last, you know, 12 years or so, Syrian refugees. So it's a very, very diverse country, but also, from what you can tell, very open wow. to the refugees. Is this so just every a cardboard? Third... Go back to that, Anthony. Is that a cardboard? Yeah, what is that? <laughs> it's, yeah it's a cover uh, of oh, the, okay. you know, tent where they live in. So this is about... 10 miles of a Syrian border. And I tried actually to go to Syria last, yeah, a year and a half ago. I got to the border and I had my, with, obviously with the US passport, there's no way you, they let you in, but I still have Moldovan passport. They held us on the border for probably two hours and then they uh, told us to walk back to, to Lebanon. So That's they didn't crazy. like us. Um, but th this is kind of the condition people live in. So that's what we've been doing for the last six years. You know, we've, I've been, you know, trying to raise some funds, uh, you know, just whatever we can with student refugees. Last year we did actually a camp for student kids there. Um, and this year, the gentleman I'm working with who runs a nonprofit there, as I mentioned, his name is Mohammed. He ended up purchasing an old abandoned hospital. Mm -hmm. And right now we're in the process of uh, remodeling it and it's in that area where uh, probably to the border yeah probably an hour from Syrian border so that's kind of concentration of Syrians and the problem with Syrian refugees uh, they cannot legally work the government Lebanese government does not allow them to work on in the, the country because pretty much they're taking jobs from the Lebanese so they rely on humanitarian aid and as far as the you know money wise there is a very limited amount of money they have and the medical system is also very uh, limited to them mm -hmm. so he decided to buy that specific hospital or abandoned hospital just so he can um, create a clinic for those who most in need so yeah so that's also been you know part of this year and last year 
whereby right now we are, um, I have a good relationship with um, a lot of nonprofits in Germany. So, and once again, it's not really photography related, but uh, we put in a container full of medical supplies. And right now they literally collect them all over the Europe from medical baths to dental chairs to whatever it is. And we'll be shipping probably in a month and a half to Lebanon to kind of start pushing things with, um, uh, with that hospital. But once again, it's all started literally with, with that trip and photos like this, which you saw, which I took six years ago. And then it led me to right now, hopefully we'll, you will, you know, I'll, we'll be able to uh, finish the hospital in, in a year or so and have that available for all the Syrian refugees. So that, that's exciting part for me, whereby, you know, it all started with photography and very limited financial um, yeah. help I can provide to whereby right now I'm in a position whereby actually I, I have a good connection with the nonprofits and um, I can provide also financial help, but also use my resources to get them whatever help they need. And you know, with whatever resources I have at this moment. Yeah. It's, it's crazy as you're talking about it, you know, you can, you can speak about it and I'm, I'm watching you and I'm listening to you. But when Anthony actually shows the photographs as you speak, Mm -hmm. You can very much feel the power in a photograph. It, it transports you mm -hmm. into that moment. Um, and, and I love the way that you've taken, you are an incredible photographer. I love the way that you've taken your art and your, your, your skill set into a place where you're making such a significant difference. It's, it's wildly impressive, my friend. And I'm, I'm committing to, with any of these new products that you have, um, I didn't even know that you were doing all these things, so I need to be a better friend. But with any of these new projects, please share them with me. Send me a, a DM, and I will I will post every single one of them. Uh, see if Thank we can you. get more donations to these causes. That would be great. Yeah. Well, I've dude, I've appreciated catching up with you, Sasha. It's been amazing. I've been Likewise. so crazy seeing these your journey over the past six years, and uh, I, I can't imagine you're only thirty something. Thirty three. 33. So yeah. you're just at the beginning of this journey. I can't imagine how much more you're going to do. Side note, okay. are you married? Yes. So married. one of the things that came across my mind is just like safety. Like, like your <laughs> wife is, your wife's okay with you kind of going to war-torn countries and Russia and negative 60 and all these places. And though some of the projects took place before, so she okay. was aware of what she was signing for. <laughs> yeah. You know, but yeah, she's she's very much supportive in all the projects, and That's uh, amazing. yeah, she went to Lebanon with me uh, the other year, and I mean, obviously, she's been to Moldova multiple year, multiple times at this point. But yeah, she's very much supportive of all of this endeavors. That's so absolutely critical for what you do. So that's amazing. Mm -hmm. That's true. Well, all right, brother. For those that are listening, we have your website. We're going to link everything in the show notes as well as the description on YouTube. Please be sure to follow Sasha. I will also be linking every one of his GoFundMes and every one of his new projects and ventures. Um, they are, I can't think of a better person to back and a better project to back than these. So thanks, Sasha, Thank for being you, here, brother. Thank you, brother. Good catching up. Likewise. Okay, we'll see ya. Uh-huh. Bye.
This episode of Think Stupid Simple is brought to you by our partners at Adorama.com. Adorama is an online retailer, but they are also much, much more. So look, what I'm talking about is if you're a musician, you can grab your instruments, get your audio, your production gear, everything you need for your home studio. If you're a photographer, cinematographer, live streamer, of course, they've got you on everything. Cameras, lenses, lighting, and accessories, all of it. But on top of being a retailer, they're also a platform for learning. And yes, you can ask their salespeople whatever questions you like. They're very knowledgeable. But what I'm actually talking about is Adorama TV. Adorama TV is a completely free YouTube channel with over a million subscribers where you can learn the ins and outs of virtually every creative field. You'll even find me on there on Fridays each week teaching photography. So grab your gear, get your learn on, and go build your own amazing awesome sauce of whatever that might be. 